All right. Don't you just hate when someone tells you what you missed? Yeah. For for those of you who missed uh, Friendsgiving on Friday, um, it was, as Frank said, and everyone seemed to um, just agree, it's just one of those times where everything flowed. You know, you can't manufacture uh, a moment like that. It either sort of happens or it doesn't. You, you, you still plan. I mean, yes, we planned the evening and we knew the, sh- the general shape of it. Sometimes an author will talk about, a novelist will talk about the fact that they kind of, they know what they're starting. They know what the end of the, the book is going to be. But as they write, it just takes on this life of its own and goes places and they learn things about the characters. It was kind of like that Friday night. We knew what the beginning was and we knew where we were trying to go. But in between... It just took on a life of its own, and it was just a beautiful thing. Um, we were talking about gratitude, of course, as uh, Thanksgiving is next Thursday already, if you can believe that. But it was more than just gratitude. Yes, the, the centrality and the importance and the, and the essential nature of gratitude in our lives, but also gratitude expressed. There was a study that we did, and we did a little video that showed that people who are grateful, of course, are much more happy, that have, a, have an awareness of their gratitude, are happier than those who don't. But those who actually express their gratitude, say it out loud, are happier than the other folks. And the, the difference between the unhappiness and the happiness is greatest if someone comes in down or low and they actually express gratitude that is authentic and real. It, it changes everything. And so... What happened on Friday, I wanted to try to recreate a little bit here. So those of you who missed it, we'll, we'll try to see how much we can do. It's going to be a different moment and a different thing, and I'll expand on it a bit. So if you were here Friday, hopefully you're here new things. But I actually had something different planned for today. And after Friday and realizing, hey, Thanksgiving is right here, gratitude, Thanksgiving. Let's talk about that. Let's see what we can do. One of the things that I started with was asking a question to everybody. And the question was this, and nobody could answer it Friday night. kind of surprised me, but it was kind of cool because then I got to be the bearer of the great news, right? We always uh, attach Thanksgiving to the pilgrims and their collaboration and connection with the Native American tribes in the 1600s. But do you know who established Thanksgiving as the national holiday it is for us today? And if you're here Friday, say nothing. Anybody know? Yes! Abraham Lincoln. Ding, 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 ding. Good gold star there. It's Abraham Lincoln. In 1863, in the middle of the Civil War, um, is when Lincoln established Thanksgiving. Uh, He had set up several days of national Thanksgiving, but they were kind of haphazard. And it was at this time that he actually set a set time for us as a nation to give Thanksgiving. And I want to read to you the proclamation. And if you know anything about Abraham Lincoln... He uh, can say more in a sentence than we can say in a page or a chapter. You know, his speeches were short, and they were just packed and loaded with stuff. He's my favorite president. Uh, It's almost hard for me to even imagine that such a man actually lived and walked, uh, and I'm sure he had his human qualities, of course, and the things that we know about him even make it more amazing that he was able to do what he did. I had a a religious experience in Washington, D.C. at the Lincoln Memorial. And I was there on business, and I was by myself, and it was a seminar, so there were set hours. And after the, the seminar was over, then I was able to just be on my own. And one of the things that I did one night was just walk the mall. And if any of you have been to D.C. and walked the, the mall, 
it's just an amazing place. You got the Capitol on one end, Lincoln Memorial on the other, Washington Monument right in the center, the reflecting pool, White House on one side, the Smithsonian on the other. There's just packed with things. And just walking by myself, you know, people around, but really just taking it all in. And I got to the Lincoln Memorial just about dusk. And, uh, you walk up those steps, and there is this just incredibly imposing figure of Lincoln seated. And as you walk up to him, he just seems to tower more and more over you. And then you turn to your left, and you go to the wall, and there etched in marble is the Gettysburg Address. And then you go to the other side, and etched in marble is the second inaugural address, that magnificent address of Lincoln's. And just standing there, reading those documents in that place, by myself, and then turning around and sitting on the top step and looking out over the reflecting pool to the Washington Monument. And keeping in mind, that's exactly where Martin Luther King stood to give his, you know, I have a dream speech in 1963. Everything just kind of came around me. And I had the sense of actually being a part of that legacy, being a part of Lincoln's legacy, King's legacy, being a part of something so much greater than myself, and yet connected in a very real way. And that's a lasting memory that I will always have. But when you read Lincoln, when you read his deep faith and his deep connection to God, married with the real-world pain and suffering that he endured his whole life, it's just incredible. The Proclamation of Thanksgiving... Washington, D.C., October 3rd, 1863, by the President of the United States of America. The year that is drawing toward its close has been filled with the blessings of fruitful fields and beautiful skies. To these bounties, which are so constantly enjoyed that we are prone to forget the source from which they come, others have been added, which are of so extraordinary a nature that they cannot fail to penetrate and soften even the heart which is habitually insensible to the ever-watchful providence of Almighty God. In the midst of a civil war of unequaled magnitude and severity, which has sometimes seemed to foreign states to invite and provoke their aggression, peace has been preserved with all other nations. Order has been maintained. The laws have been respected and obeys, and harmony has prevailed everywhere except in the theater of military conflict, while that theater has been greatly contracted by the advancing armies and navies of the Union. Needful diversions of wealth and of strength from the fields of peaceful industry to the national defense have not arrested the plow, the shuttle, or the ship. The axe has enlarged the borders of our settlements. And the mines, as well as of iron and coal, as of precious metals, have yielded even more abundantly than heretofore. See what he's doing here? In the midst of the Civil War, the most devastating event in our national history, the death toll was astronomical. We suffered the losses of both sides, some of the bloodiest battles ever. He is still finding something to be grateful for. He is mindful of the things that continue Even as president, he had to focus on that which was hurtful, the trauma of his presidency. Yet he sees the other things that are going on at the same time. He continues, Population has steadily increased, notwithstanding the waste that has been made in the camp, the siege, and the battlefield. And the country rejoicing in the consciousness of augmented strength and vigor is permitted to expect continuance of years with large increase of freedom. And here's where it gets really interesting. 
No human counsel hath devised, nor hath any mortal hand worked out these great things. They are the gracious gift of the Most High God, who has remembered mercy. It has seemed to me fit and proper that they should be solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the whole American people. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November next as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. And I recommend to them that while offering up the ascriptions justly due to him for such singular deliverances and blessings, they do also with humble penitence for our national perverseness, commend to his tender care all those who have become widows, orphans, mourners, or sufferers in the lamentable civil strife which we are now unavoidably engaged, and fervently implore the interposition of the Almighty Hand to heal the wounds of the nation and to restore it as soon as may be consistent with the divine purposes to the full enjoyment of peace, harmony, Tranquility and union. In testimony whereof, I have hereunto set my hand and caused the seal of the United States to be affixed, done at the city of Washington this third day of October, in the year of our Lord, 1863, and of the independence of the United States, the 88th, by the President Abraham Lincoln. People don't talk that way anymore, but they should. It's just, when I read this, it's, it's amazing to me. This is a president of the United States boldly stating his faith, his dependence on God, and the way through the difficulties that he has had to surmount. But this is also beyond irony and beyond ironic in two ways. That our Thanksgiving, our day of of, of just nationally celebrating the abundance that we share, was born in the Civil War. Think about that. It was born during the Civil War, the darkest period in our history, possibly. But again, maybe that's not so surprising, because it's usually in the dark that we begin to see the most clearly, spiritually speaking. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's in those dark times, it's in those stressful and difficult times that all of the distractions are stripped away and we can see most clearly. Still, ironic, Thanksgiving born first in the Civil War and secondly for Thanksgiving to be born of Lincoln. If you know anything about Lincoln, he was a complete depressoid. By today's standard, we can look back and see the records that he left and the testimony of friends. He was clinically depressed for most of his life. He was suicidal at many times. His wife, Mary Todd Lincoln, suffered from mental illness. She was hospitalized for it at one point in her life. She suffered from migraines that debilitated her for days and for weeks at a time. And she was very depressed. They lost two of their boys before Lincoln himself was shot to tuberculosis and scarlet fever. And when the 11-year-old boy died while he was still in office, it nearly took Lincoln out. He could barely continue. And then a third boy died when he was 18 years old after his father had been shot, but Mary had to bury him. You take all of that life circumstance, you take the mental illness, you take the debilities, you take the civil war, 
It is often said that no president has worked harder than Lincoln worked in office during that war to preserve the Union, to try to keep body and soul together. And how did he do it? There's a great story of him staggering into the room where Mary was being fitted for a gown by the by her dressmaker. And she's the one who tells the story that he was just ashen. He was stumbling. He fell into a couch and was shielding his face with his eyes. And he mumbled something about, you know, he had just come from the war room and it was just bad. It was just bad. It was just bad. And they reached over and picked the book up and started reading. And she noticed after a while he was visibly more cheerful and brightened. And so she made the excuse of dropping something to walk over so she could take a peek and see what he was reading. You know what it was? It was the book of Job. He found sustenance in a book that doesn't give any answers to the reason for our pain and for our strife in life, but reinforces the bond that we have with our God. That's what he took as sustenance. That's what he took as heartening to bring him through, to come back to that over and over and over again. He found his way back to gratitude in the ways that he did. How do we find ourselves and our ways back to gratitude? How much time do we spend not based in gratitude? Complaining about the way things are, wishing that they were different, praying things away. What is gratitude anyway when you think about it? You know, what what really is gratitude? If you really look at what Jesus is saying, gratitude is the end product of a spiritual journey. It's where we get to when we have really crossed so many of the boundaries, so many of the lines. If you want to think of it this way, Jesus says that freedom is what we will get when we follow his ways and we will know the truth and the truth will make us free. Gratitude is what freedom feels like. Do you ever think of it that way? The experience of freedom, freedom from fear, freedom from all the obsessive compulsive things that we deal with our entire lives. To be free from that feels like gratitude. That freedom feels that way. For Jesus, gratitude is the definition of kingdom. Kingdom, his idea of the the quality of life that we can have when we are completely connected and aware of the presence around us of God and each other. It's the definition of kingdom. Jesus' way creates awareness of that unity, of that connection. The awareness of unity creates the trust and the freedom from fear. And the freedom and from fear is experienced as gratitude. You know, at some of my darkest times in my life, I realized something really important. I couldn't be depressed and listen to James Taylor at the same time. It's the same thing with gratitude. You cannot be depressed and grateful at the same time. One is the negation of the other. And as soon as we move into gratitude, as soon as we realize what we've got again, things change. Reading the book of Job changed that moment for Lincoln. Now, maybe we can understand gratitude best by looking at its opposite. Maybe that'll help us to kind of narrow in and understand. So what's the opposite of gratitude? Obviously, it's ingratitude, right? That's not real helpful. All right? How does that going to... We need to dig a little deeper here. All right. What are we grateful for? Well, typically we're grateful for a gift, especially a gift that we could never give ourselves. Isn't that something to be grateful for? You win the lottery. You have a child. You know, Having children is almost like 
you're sort of a bystander to life, and they just sort of show up, and then they do what they do, and some of it's good, some of it's uh, you know not so good. Doesn't make it into the scrapbook, but that's okay. Overall, it's a beautiful thing. So we're grateful for a gift. We're most grateful for a gift that we couldn't give ourselves. That's why we're most grateful for people, right? Especially our friends. What's the old line? You can't choose your family, but your friends choose you. Those people who freely choose us, you can't pay for that. You can't make them choose you. When they do, gratitude. And if you could make them choose you, then you won't be grateful for it because you're controlling the situation. Right? We're most grateful for people. We're grateful for gifts we can't give ourselves. But when is a gift not really a gift? There's a nice riddle for you. Riddle me that. When is a gift not a gift? <laughs> What's that? Yeah, see, they're actually answering. This is good. Two-way street. A gift is not a gift when you earned it. Right? If you earn it, it's no longer a gift because you're entitled to the gift. What's a paycheck? You worked hard for that money. You better see that paycheck on the day that it's due or else there's going to be heck to pay, right? A a paycheck, a job, a skill, a diploma, a degree, right? Or maybe a faith, salvation. Have we earned that? If we have, then we're entitled to it. If we really believe that we have earned our salvation... The definition of legalism, right? If we really believe that, then it's as if we have signed a contract with God. We have done our part, and God is obligated to perform His. Entitlement is the opposite of gratitude. And think about what you think about an entitled person, right? It's not a compliment, is it? Think about entitlement and all that means, and the way that that creates relationship. Entitlement is the opposite of gratitude. And the thing is that we actually prefer entitlement, don't we? Because it keeps us in a superior position. It keeps us in a prideful position. We don't want to be in the receiver position. We want to be in the place where we earned it. Take a look at Luke 18, starting at verse 9. Jesus gives us the classic image of this difference between gratitude and entitlement. To some who are confident of their own righteousness... There you go. To some who are confident of their own righteousness. It may look different up there because I've got the NIV going down here. To those, to some who are confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the classic image of entitlement. The Pharisees were the doctors of the law. They created the law in many respects. They knew it backward and forward, and they kept it assiduously. Therefore, they earned their position with the people and with God. Just ask them. They will tell you. It's like that line from the the video Friday night. Trust me, I'm wearing a lab coat. It was like that. They were wearing the shawl. It meant everything. 
And even if you say, hey, the gratitude of the publican here, the tax collector, is not really fully formed yet. But guess what? When that kicks in, when he realizes that God still loves him, even though he doesn't deserve it and didn't earn it, off the hook. Jesus is giving us that classic contrast. Think of what, again, what we think of as an entitled person. And you'll see what this is all about. Like gratitude is the key. Now the irony, again, is that we may prefer entitlement because it preserves our illusion of control, that we really have things controlled, that we can put this together and we can earn all this stuff. But it doesn't make us happy. Entitlement does not make us happy. Entitled people are usually among the most miserable people. And they make others miserable in the process as well. It's only gratitude. Being out of control. Dependent. A conscious receiver who knows that he or she has been giving gifts that they could never get for themselves. Humble. That position is experienced as content, as happy, grateful. Now, here's a question. Can we both be entitled and grateful at the same time. Now, there's a trick. I just did this big job of creating this duality for you, right? But what we always talk about here is not either or, it's both and. Can you be entitled and grateful at the same time? Think about this. Can you be an enemy and loving at the same time? Jesus said the highest form of love is love of the enemy. The one for whom you don't have any affection for. The one whom you actively may dislike. But by still seeing the identification with him or her, the connection, the human connection, they still deserve everything that you deserve for yourself. That's the highest form of love. And so in the same way, can we realize that we have earned a gift, but it is still a gift nonetheless? Can we see that? That would be the highest form of of gratitude. Yes, I earned this paycheck, but I am so grateful that someone gave me the job in the first place because I could not give that to myself. That was someone else's choice, someone else's decision. Yes, I earned this degree, but my parents paid for my schooling. Do you see how this works? I, Paul says to work out your faith and in fear and in trembling. Kind of a strange thing to say, right? <laughs> because we as all, because he also says it's a free gift. You can't earn it. So that no one can boast about it either. But it's both and at the same time. Yes, there are things for us to do. There, there is work for us to do. Anyone who has worked the 12 steps knows it is a process of working through to break through into the connection with our God. And yet that connection is still a free gift. Look what Paul says here at Philippians 4.11, that famous passage. He says, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He learned to be content in all circumstances, which means he learned to be grateful 
in all circumstances, whether earned or not. The gifts that he received, he understood as a gift that he could never give himself. We do our part, right? But it's still a gift. What's the old line there? You know, uh, pray as if everything depends on God. Work as if everything depends on you. Have you heard that one? Or my personal favorite, God can move mountains, but someone's got to bring a shovel. The same idea. Yes, there is work to do. There are things that we do to move forward in life, but at the same time, the undergirding is that it's all a gift. There's still so much to be completely grateful for so that no one may boast. Jesus emphasized this over and over again. Take a look at Matthew thirteen forty four. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. These are images of immense gratitude, of joy. And yet, these are workers doing their work. The man in the field wasn't just taking a stroll. He was doing his farming. He was doing what he did in the field. And yet, in the midst of that work, his own earning of his bread, right? He finds this treasure of great value. And the merchant, looking for the pearl, finds one and realizes its great worth. The immense value of the, of the gifts that they were given, even in the midst of their work, overwhelmed them to such a degree that gratitude and the joy and getting completely lost in that moment was the only possible response that they had. But does the gift have to be immense in order to elicit our gratitude? In other words, is, is the amount of gratitude just equal to the size of the gift? Or is something else going on here too? Take a look at Tecumseh's quote there. Tecumseh was the great Shawnee Indian chief of the 1700s and into the 1800s. He writes, Show respect to all people, but grovel to none. When you arise in the morning, give thanks for the light, for your life, for your strength. Give thanks for your food and for the joy of living. If you see no reason for giving thanks, the fault lies only in yourself. You know, both Tecumseh and Lincoln led very difficult lives. Lives full of loss, full of pain. As they tried to lead their separate nations to survival, Tecumseh trying to lead the Shawnee people and a confederate of Native Americans to try to survive in the onslaught of the colonial period. Lincoln trying to lead his nation to survive the the fracturing that was happening at the Civil War. They both experienced great loss and death in their lives. And yet both of them found the tiny places amid the huge traumas of their lives. They found those little places in between the cracks, in between the raindrops, where gratitude still existed. This is their genius. This is their spirit. This is their connection to God. To be able to continue to see that that they, like Paul, like Jesus, understood that gratitude can come from the tiniest sources and yet fill us completely, even in the midst of other things that are tearing us down at the same time. 
Think about what you're grateful for. What are you grateful for? Gotta be grateful for Johnny. That's a huge thing in your life. Erin gets Johnny in, you know, in her lap and her whole world changes. You know? She's grateful for that. What are you most grateful for? Just stop for a minute and put an image in your mind. Who is it? What is it? Is it a who or is it a what? What is it? Whatever it is, I guarantee you it's a big thing. If it's the most grateful thing that you're grateful for, it's going to be a big thing in your life. But if we're ever able to cross over into a life that is characterized by gratitude, if we're really going to enter the kingdom experience as Jesus is talking about it, then we can't be waiting all the time for the big gift to show up. We're going to be at that train station forever, always waiting, always looking out at a receding horizon line and never actually getting there. We must see the gifts that are right in the middle of the civil war of our lives, right in the middle of the daily activities of living, right in the middle of everything that we're doing. It means that we need to become present. We need to become aware of even the smallest gifts that are given to us, the ones that are always with us, the ones that are always pouring through. But we miss them because they seem so inconsequential. They're just part of life. They're part of the the wallpaper, the fabric. And so we just blow through, always focused on the big tragedies or the big pleasures, but all of the rest of it just missing. Tecumseh and Lincoln are here to remind us that even in the middle of the Civil War, the sun still rises and sets and the crops still grow when the rain falls. And outside of the theater of conflict, there are islands of peace and tranquility and connection that we can celebrate if that's our choice. And Tecumseh is saying the exact same thing. We need to become present and aware to everything that is going through. This constant stream of gifts that never waver, even as the big gifts come and go. One of the things that we did that I want to do right now is just take a moment. And Brandon, can you run that second video, or the only video that's left there? Take a look at this, and then we'll conclude. Hi, everybody. I feel like I'm at a revival. This is great. It's great to be back in my old stomping grounds of San Francisco, When I graduated UCLA, I moved to Northern California, and I lived in a little town called Elk on the Mendocino Coast. And um, I didn't have a phone or TV, but I had U.S. mail. And uh, life was good back then, if you could remember it. Um, I'd go to the general store for a cup of coffee and a brownie, and I'd ship my film to San Francisco, and lo and behold, two days later, it would end up on my front door, which was way better than having to fight the traffic of uh, Hollywood. I didn't have much money, but I had time and a sense of wonder. So I started shooting time-lapse photography. It would take me a month to shoot a four-minute roll of film because that's all I could afford. I've been shooting time-lapse flowers continuously, non-stop, 24 hours a day, seven days a week for over 30 years. And to see them move is a dance I'll never get tired of. Their beauty immerses us with color, taste, touch. It also provides a third of the food we eat. Beauty and seduction 
is nature's tools for survival because we protect what we fall in love with. It opens our hearts and makes us realize we are a part of nature and we're not separate from it. When we see ourselves in nature, it also connects us to every one of us because it's clear that it's all connected in one. When people see my images, a lot of times they'll say, Oh my God. Have you ever wondered what that meant? The O means it caught your attention, it makes you present, it makes you mindful. The my means it connects with something deep inside your soul. It creates a gateway for your inner voice to rise up and be heard. And God, God is that personal journey we all want to be on, to be inspired, to feel like we're connected to a universe that celebrates life. Did you know that 80% of the information we receive comes through our eyes? And if you compare light energy to musical scales, it would only be one octave that the naked eye could see, which is right in the middle. And aren't we grateful for our brains that can, you know, take this electrical impulse that comes from light energy to create images in order for us to explore our world? And aren't we grateful that we have hearts that can feel these vibrations in order for us to allow ourselves to feel the pleasure and the beauty of nature? Nature's beauty is a gift that cultivates appreciation and gratitude. So I have a gift I want to share with you today, a project I'm working on called Happiness Revealed. And it'll give us a glimpse into that perspective from the point of view of a child and an elderly man of that world. When I watch TV, it's just some shows that you just, that are pretend. And, and when you explore, you get more imagination than you already had. And um, when you get more imagination, it makes you want to go deeper in so you can get more and see beautiful things. Like it could, the path, if it's a path, it could, leave you, it could lead you to a beach or something, and it could be beautiful. you think this is just another day in your life? It's not just another day. It's the one day that is given to you today. It's given to you. It's a gift. It's the only gift that you have right now. And the only appropriate response is gratefulness. If you do nothing else but to cultivate that response to the great gift that this 
unique day is if you learn to respond as if it were the first day in your life and the very last day then you will have spent this day very well begin by opening your eyes and be surprised that you have eyes you can open that incredible array of colors that is constantly offered to us for pure enjoyment look at the sky we so rarely look at the sky we so rarely note how different it is from moment to moment with clouds coming and going we just think of the weather and even of the weather we don't think of all the many nuances of weather we just think of good weather and bad weather this day right now is unique weather maybe a kind that will never exactly in that form come again the formation of clouds in the sky will never be the same that is right now open your eyes look at that look at the faces of people whom you meet each one has a incredible story behind their face a story that you could never fully fathom not only their own story but the story of their ancestors we all go back so far and in this present moment on this day all the people you meet all that life from generations and from so many places all over the world flows together and meets you here like a life-giving water if you only open your heart and drink open your heart to the incredible gifts that civilization gives to us you flip a switch and there is electric light you turn a faucet and there is warm water and cold water and drinkable water it's a gift that millions and millions in the world will never experience so these are just a few of an enormous number of gifts to which we can open your heart and so i wish you that you will open your heart to all these blessings and let them flow through you that everyone whom you will meet on this day will be blessed by you just by your eyes by your smile by your touch just by your presence let the gratefulness overflow into blessing all around you and then it will really be a good day if there's only one thing 
just one thing that you take away from this message. Look at the sky. Please, look at the sky. That pattern you see there, that cloud formation you see there, has never existed before. And as long as this world has been in existence, and it will never exist again in that particular pattern, that particular formation, absolutely unique. In every face you see, absolutely unique. You'll never see it before or again. These are the things that we can focus on. These are the things that everyday life presents for us. That even if you think that everything is dust, and even if you think that you have nothing to be grateful for, you will find them in those tiny little things that life presents. And if you think that you have earned everything, that no one ever gave you a free lunch, and that everything had to be earned by the sweat of your brow, then maybe just somewhere in the back of your mind remember that, yes, we can rearrange the furniture in the house, but the house is a gift that we could never give ourselves. That's it. If we can do that, if we can bring the gratitude in from both sides of entitlement and from gratefulness, then our house will be a very, very, very fine house with two cats in the yard. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for everything that we have to be grateful for here this morning, for Aaron and John and Johnny and the Sears family and the Basile family, and for everything that, every song that was sung and every hug that was given, every bagel and cream cheese falling on the floor, everything that happened is a cause for celebration if we choose to see it that way. Help us to choose to see it that way, Lord. Help us to see things as the gift that they are, the constant, never-ending stream of gifts that come from your abundant love. And help us to understand more and more that we can only do any of this because you did it first. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's all stand.